Good to see everybody here this morning. I want to ask you, how many of you are Avengers fans? Okay, oh, look at here. All ages, all groups, the rest of you. Those are power-type people, for those of you who don't know. Uh, I grew up with a power-type person, you know, like uh, the Lone Ranger. <laughs> and that was it. But, you know, if, if you take all the power people, I got an idea. I was thinking about it this week. If I took Captain America, and I took the Hulk, and I took Thor, and I took Iron Man, and a few of these others, and I put them all together and created one, wouldn't that be awesome? You don't think so? I mean, really, I think that would be fantastic. That here's, here's the superpower of all powers ever in existence. And then the second thought was this. So then we get a time machine, and we go back to the first century, and we find this guy named John Mark. And we go to him and say, John Mark, we know that you've written a book called The Gospel of Jesus Christ, and we just wanted to show you what a superpower really looks like. And we show him this all put together, united, most powerful super being in history. What do you think his reaction would be? I think he would laugh. He said, you want to see a superpower? He said, why don't you read my ninth chapter? And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the ninth chapter and we're going to see the ultimate of all superpowers, the supernatural man of action, Jesus Christ, as he's doing what he does. Now, to do that, I have to set the stage for you. Before chapter 9 begins, just a little bit earlier, in the evening, late at night, into the morning, Jesus has taken the inner circle, the apostles James, John, and Peter, and they've gone up on the mountain for a specific reason. Jesus there gives them what is called an open vision. He opens their eyes to see him as he will appear in all eternity. So they're getting to see something that no one has ever seen before. And James and John and Peter are overwhelmed by this because they also see two other people there, Moses and Elijah. Now, we're not told how they know who they are, but Peter knows and Peter does what I think I would have done, what maybe you would have done, and that is, he says, you know, Jesus, this is so awesome. Why don't we build some huts and stay here? You know, wouldn't you like to stay in the presence of God? Have you ever had that experience where you, you really knew that God was so close to you that you were just right there with him and you never wanted to leave that moment? That was one of the best moments you've ever had. Well, that's what these guys experienced, and now... After being on top of the mountain, Jesus lets that vision fade away, and there he is again in his flesh and his blood, and he's in their presence, and he says, Now, guys, you can't tell anybody what you just saw. Really? That's going to be hard to do, but they will obey him, and then they start down the mountain. Now, my mind says that James was on one side of him, and Jesus on the I mean, James and John on either side of him, and Peter is probably leading them down the mountain. Okay, they come down the mountain, and something happens. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. The title is, Why the Confusion? When they came to the other disciples, remember there were only three up there, so there are nine down in the valley. 
they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Here's Jesus' reply. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Now I want to talk a minute about contrasts. Here were the three coming off the mountain. They had seen holiness. Now they're coming in to seeing something that's not holy, to seeing what real life is all about, to seeing the struggles in the valley. They were up there where there was peace, and now they're coming down here where there's turmoil. They were up there with the Son of God, now they're coming down to a man who has a son who's demon-possessed. You see, the contrast is this, that God allows you and me from time to time to be in his presence to feel that awesome awareness of God and know that we're right where he wants us to be. But then he closes that and says, now, go into the valley. Go down where the demons dwell. Live life. That's where we live. So there is a struggle to live this life because it's the life that we have been given. It's a life of contrast. It's a life of good things and bad things. But Jesus is intent for you and for me is to build us up in our faith to such an extent that we experience this valley life from heaven's perspective. That we are looking down on all of our circumstances and living through them. So Jesus is very concerned when he comes down the mountain and he hears the arguing going on. He knows what's happening. But he said, what's going on? And here comes a man. I'm a dad. Many of you are dads. Even moms, you understand the pain that you must be going through when your child is suffering. That all you want for that child is that they, they be delivered from this suffering. My youngest daughter, 18 months ago, had a baby, and after she came home from the hospital, she discovered that she, the, the mother, had C. diff. And she went back into the hospital, and she almost died in that hospital. Do you know what I was doing that whole time? I was on my knees. I was crying out, oh, God, oh, God, please, Jesus, save her, help her healer. I was just like that dad. Well, there's a difference with Jesus. It's really an interesting thing. Jesus is more concerned about the father than he is about the son. He wants to build faith in the father. He wants to build your faith. Because the more faith you have, the more you acknowledge who he is. And the more you do that, uh, the greater his experience in your life. When you're depending upon yourself, let me tell you, it's not going to work. But when you're depending upon God, it works. Why could the disciples not heal this young man? Well, maybe it's 
possible that the reason they didn't get invited to see the vision is their faith was lacking. You see, they were out there on their own. They didn't have Jesus with them. But Jesus had given them power and authority. And yet they failed. They couldn't make it happen. So Jesus wanted to expand their faith. He wanted to cause them to grow. He will do things in your life to increase your faith. Sometimes they're easy things, and, and you grasp it quickly, and, and your faith, oh, yes, this is greater. I, I, I know Jesus did this. Other times in your life, it's the turmoils, the struggle, the valley experience. And there you're trying to figure out, where, where is this man of action in my life? I wish he would come, but he's teaching you something. The first experience I had of that was right out of seminary, my first pastorate on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, 12 miles from the water, way back in the Nowheresville. It was a sweet little church. One of the deacons became very ill. He had an exam. They told him he had a tumor. They told him that it was very dangerous. They were going to have to do surgery. So the family called me and said, could you come to the hospital tomorrow morning about 6 a.m.? I said, sure. They said, the surgery's not until 8 but the family will be there, and you could pray with them. I said, that's what I do. That's great. I'd love to do that. Well, I didn't know, even though I'm from the South, the Southern tradition of hospital visitation. And that is that there were probably 35 or 45 family members there. And while he's in surgery, you go to breakfast, and then you come back. It's an all-day event for the whole family. And so I show up there, and we're all gathered, and before they take him in, they say, now you can pray for him if you'd like. So we gather in this huge circle, and someone says, well, would you like to pray, pastor? And I knew there was another pastor there who had been in the community for many years and knew the whole family. And so I said, I'd like to defer to him, because I really believe that, uh, you know, he knows the family better. It would be more suitable if he prayed. I was being very gracious. And so he said, well, thank you, I will. So we closed our eyes and bowed our heads and we were holding hands. And the minute he started praying, I regretted it. I thought, you got to be kidding. He's going, Jesus, come and heal him. Well, now I just come out of Reformed Seminary. That didn't happen anymore. Because after all, John was dead. And once John died, the Holy Spirit quit working. That's what I had been taught. And so I'm going, why did I let him pray? This is terrible. He said, Jesus, come. You know that you're the only answer for his problem. You know that you can deliver him out of this. And I'm, I'm going, God, whatever your will is, whatever you want to do, you can do it. Both prayers were right. So we ended the prayer. We sat around for a little while. We had a little coffee before we were going to breakfast. Half hour went by, and the doctor comes back in. And the doctor says, well, we're thinking, no. He died. It's too bad. Everything's wrong. And he said, no, no, no. I have some good news for you, but I can't explain it. He said, we can't find the tumor. It's gone. And I'm thinking, no. <laughs> Can you believe that? You know, no, I can't believe that happened. And then I'm thinking, okay, I got to get a hold of this thing. I have to agree that it happened because it happened. I just don't understand it. And then I'm hearing from Jesus saying, that's right, you don't understand. I'm building your faith. I'm helping you know that not only do I not contain myself to a box, and some say, oh, he operates outside the box. No, there is no box with God. 
You see, God created everything, so he didn't box himself in. There's nothing that is impossible with God. Now, I want you to be careful to know this, that all illness and sickness doesn't remain because of a lack of faith. Don't connect those two together as though the reason this person isn't healed is they don't have enough faith. No. God's in control of all that, but he wants to build faith. So he was building my faith to understand that, okay, God, you're bigger than I learned in seminary. There's more to you in your word than I understand, and I'm just getting started. So continue, Lord, to expand my awareness of who you are. But don't let me go off into weird places and strange places. Just keep me tied together here because I, I think I know who you are. Has he ever expanded your faith like that? I know he has with some of you where something has happened in your life that you could not explain, but you know God did it. That's another step of faith. That's where he's building that faith in you to help you know him better. The whole purpose of faith is to know him better, to depend upon him more. So here's this father coming in saying, the disciples couldn't do it. Jesus says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Bring the boy to me. Why him? He's the healer. He's the creator. He's the only one who can do it. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, there's a story of King Asa. Asa loved the Lord, served the Lord well as the king, but then in his last days... He became ill, something like gout, some problem with his feet. And the Bible says this, and he sought the doctors and he died. Now, don't take that verbatim, okay? It's okay to go to your doctors. But that statement was in there to say, why didn't you first go to the Lord and then go to the doctors? In other words, why don't you piggyback everything because there is a spiritual aspect to all physical things. Because you and I are both physical and spiritual. Why would we think then that anything that's going on in us is just one or the other? It's both. It's always a spiritual event. So God is wanting to increase your awareness of that so that you will yield more to him so that he can pour more into your spirit to take care of the flesh. Jesus says, bring the boy to me. Now, this is one of my favorite parts of the story it's called, what I, what I call it is, Why the Delay? Verses 21 through 24. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Now think about this. I'm the father. Here's my son. He's thrashing all in front of Jesus. He's foaming at the mouth. Everything is going wrong. I am just at my wits end. The disciples couldn't do anything about it. And now I bring him to Jesus. And Jesus says, how long has he been like this? Are you kidding is there a statute of limitations on healing? Have you ever had that? I, I know when I had a kidney stone and I went to the doctor, he said, how long have you had this? Who cares? <laughs> Get it out! 
And I would expect that to be the father's reaction, you know, when Jesus says, how long has he been like this? Do you really care? Jesus, you already know. Why are you asking this question? It's because he is more concerned about the father than the son. Because he wants the father to learn something here. He wants to build the father's faith. The father says, well, from childhood. Now, I see Jesus and I, I know what's going on. Jesus is saying this to himself, to you and to me. Hey, demon possession, that's no big deal. I got that under control. So I'm not worried about the sun. I can take care of the sun real quickly. It's you I'm worried about. Because I need to know where your faith is. I need to know if you have faith to move a mountain. Just a little bit of faith. You see, he doesn't expect you and me to be perfected in faith. He knows we're not. He knows we have doubts. And there's so many times in my life, almost on a monthly or weekly basis, where a doubt races across. And I have to confront that doubt and wonder, okay, God, what are you doing? I've got enough faith or do I need more? How can you help me to understand what you're doing? And so this man had to come to the conclusion of this. He was not coming to a power. He was coming to a person. The disciples had the authority. They had the power. But they lost sight of the person. They thought, we've got the power. We've got the authority. We can do this on our own. And they couldn't. Because it requires the presence of God. And they thought once they got the Spirit, once they were followers of Jesus, they had everything they needed. And that's a dilemma you and I find ourselves in. We think that just because we've accepted Christ and we're now filled with the Spirit, we don't need His help anymore. We can handle this. And He says, no, you can't handle this. There's some things that you need to know. First of all, it's this, Hebrews eleven six: Without faith... It is impossible to please God. In other words, it doesn't matter what you do in life. It's not going to please God if faith's not attached. If you can do it on your own without him, it's worthless. If it requires him to get you to do it, it's valuable. That's what he wants to teach this man. You see, he knows it all. I remember back in my former life, one of the interrogation techniques was this. Use what you know to find out what you don't know. I remember we apprehended a, a guy who had been stealing eight-foot pool tables. That's a hard thing to steal, isn't it? He was in collusion with a truck driver who was in collusion with a shipping agent. And so three different people had to get paid off. And we stopped him and we brought him in and we had that one pool table. That's what we knew. Now we needed to know what we didn't know. And I remember sitting across from him, I said, so, you stole that one this week. You probably stole one every week for 52 weeks. That's 52, and you've been there for 10 years. You've stolen 520 pool tables, and that equals, and I gave him an amount. And he's sitting there, he said, no, I kept track. I didn't steal but 30. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> well, here comes God, and he says, I know you. I know exactly where you are with your faith. And you don't know what I can do for you. 
All I'm asking you to do is admit to me what I already know. Just say to me, Lord, I don't have enough faith to do this or to do that. Or, Lord, I'm concerned that I'm not going to do this. Lord, would you help me? Just admit that you can't do it without him. That's all he wants. And then he will do it and build your faith. He wants you to confess to him. And then he wants you to bring him the boy. Verses 26 and 27 I'll start in 25. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. That's all it took. (laughs) Gone. But the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and stood him up. Bring the boy to me. Take everything to Jesus, whatever it is. Take it to Jesus. Live by faith. A few weeks ago, Linda and I went to the Creation Museum down in Kentucky and had a great experience there, a lot of information to to gather. And It's just so interesting that the hotel where we were staying in the morning that we, after we had gone to the Creation Museum, I walk into the lobby area and there's a woman there with a black hoodie on and on the back of the hoodie it says, I live by sight, not by faith. And I had to do a double take because I'm thinking, you're kidding. Do you know what that means? That means that only that which you see you believe? That's a sad existence because we live in a world where we cannot see all things at all times. But isn't it interesting? She was there at the Creation Museum. Living by sight, not by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. My wife and I were very sad for this woman because we knew she was going the wrong way. Again, Jesus doesn't expect perfect faith, strong faith, steadfast faith, but faith that is growing. How's your faith? Now, how are you doing in these times of trial and tribulation that come to every one of us? How are you doing in the valley? How's it going? Jesus gives the solution. And it's not an easy solution. Not as easy as it may sound. And so I ask the question, why this solution? Verses 28 and 29. After all of this has taken place, after Jesus goes indoors, his disciples ask him privately. I bet it was private, but they were scared to say anything else. Why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. (coughs) Now, what he's stating there is a principle. It's not just a principle to go against this particular kind of demon. It's a principle of spiritual warfare. It's a principle of growing in faith. Because every time you are engaged in warfare of a spiritual nature, and every warfare is a spiritual nature, no matter what it is, when you're engaged in it, you need greater faith to overcome it. And the only way you're going to gain that greater faith is by talking to God about it. It's by praying and saying, Lord, 
You know the situation. I'm not bringing you something you're not aware of. You know my son has all of these problems. You know I lack faith. So, Lord, I bring my faith and I ask you for help with my unfaith. I ask you to look into me knowing that I have doubts, I have concerns. Would you please build my faith fresh? Build it new. Because you know what? Yesterday's faith won't do you a bit of good. And you don't need tomorrow's faith until tomorrow. But today is the day you need faith. And you need a strong amount of it because you have no idea what the plan is that God has for the universe, what he has for you and for me. I don't know the plan for the remainder of the day, but I have faith that whatever it is, my God is able because there's nothing impossible with my God. So these disciples realized that when we were out there, we should have done the same thing that we watched Jesus do for almost three years. That is, we should have said, Father, because before Christ would do things, he would speak to his Father. He would ask for that power of the Spirit that was in him to be exercised. And that's what you and I need to learn to do. We need to grab this solution. Listen to this. Great faith in a weak Savior is meaningless. Why do I say that? Because faith is based on the strength of its object. Who is the object of our faith? Jesus Christ. If you have faith, you don't just have faith in faith. You don't have faith in something that's going to happen. You don't have faith in people the same way you do in God because people are weak. We are all weak at some area of our lives. And so if you have total faith in me, I will fail you. But God won't. God is, is perfect in all ways. And so the object of my faith says this, great faith in a weak Savior is meaningless. Little faith in a perfect Savior is everything. Just a little bit of faith. If I have a little bit of faith, I can move a mountain. Just think what would happen if I had great faith. I could move the world. Or at least I could move in that world in a way that other people would find out who Jesus Christ is. And they would want that power and that authority that he gives in order to bring glory to him. Your faith needs to be stretched. Now, I will never pray whatever it takes, God. No. But I will say this. I'm praying that God will stretch our faith so that we will know him better, so that we can serve him and glorify him the way we were designed. But let me tell you, it's going to take a stretch. It's not something that happens easily. You heard about my first stretch. Let me give you the second one that happened. Many years later, it started when I was in seminary because my wife and I had a home, nursing home ministry for three years. Every Monday we went and we ministered to the people in the nursing home. We got to know them real well. And one of them, named Elizabeth, became sick and went into a coma. And a friend of mine said, I can go with you to the hospital because my wife wasn't available. So we went. His name's Greg Presnell. And Greg went around on the other side and he took her hand and he began to pray and he was praying and praying. And I'm over there praying and just watching and her body starts shaking. 
And he just keeps praying. And he ends the prayer. And I said, you know, I don't know what happened, but something, I think she had a seizure or a convulsion. He said, oh, no, no. He said, you see, the spirit is not limited by the flesh. He said, she heard what I said, and she was responding to it. And I'm thinking, you know, a little strange on that one. About five years later, I get a call in the church where I'm pastoring as an assistant pastor. And I said, can you come and visit this lady? It's my mother, and she's in a coma. And I'm thinking, coma, Greg Presnell. Oh, no, I got to go do this. So I went over there, and I went in, and she was in a coma, and I held her hand. She didn't shake. She didn't squeeze. She didn't move. Nothing happened for me, okay? But I prayed, and I presented the gospel to her. He thanked me. I went my way. Three months later, I get a phone call. Mom woke up out of the coma. He said, I'd love for you to come and meet her now since you had the time to minister to her before. I said, that would be lovely. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. So I got there, and he and I are standing out in the hallway. And he said, so I'm going to go in, and I'll introduce you to her. And I said, that would be fine. I'd be happy. I'm looking forward to meeting her. We walk in the room, and he says, mother? And she said, you don't have to introduce me. I know who he is. I recognize his voice. I said, that's the pastor that led me to the Lord. <laughs> you know, the glory is the Lord's. But he stretched my faith four or five years earlier so that when that moment came, I would remember how powerful he is. So let me tell you what I'm going to do. I've made a decision by prepping this sermon and, and hearing from God on it. You know where he says, bring the boy to me? I am naming every problem in my life now, boy. <laughs> and I'm going to say, all right, Jesus. I'm bringing you a boy today. Here he is. Would you solve this problem and increase my faith? Because he's the only one that can. Now, to have that privilege, you have to be in him. You have to have accepted him as Lord and Savior. And he'll start you out with a little bit of faith. And he will grow that faith in you until the time you come home to him. And he will protect you. And he will love you. And he will take every boy you bring him. And he will help solve those in your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. There is nothing that is impossible with you. So this morning, Lord, there's some who bring their hearts to you for the first time. They say, Jesus, come into my heart and take over my life. And there are others of us, Lord, who say, Lord, expand our faith. We bring these issues of life to you and we ask you, Lord, deal with them for us. Help us in our time of need. Lord, teach us how to glorify you in the midst of faith. Increase our faith so that we can please you. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.